Star Trek, The Nerdy Frontier. These are the discussions of the Good Time Society. Their continuing mission, to explore each episode, to seek out new topics and ridiculous observations, to boldly watch what they've already watched before. So I have a question for you, Becca. If you were on a starship... Go on. ...and you didn't have to be a science engineering command officer of any sort, uh, you could be something different, such as a fiction expert like Lieutenant Whalen. Uh, what kind of expert would you be? A dramaturge. Thank oh. you very much. I would study plays from the past. It is a real job, Jake. Do not insult people. Am I right, Xander? That's a real job. That's <laughs> no one's insulting anyone. He was a ship historian, not ship fiction reader, Jake. It just uh, <laughs> was in his realm of knowledge. He was introduced as the fiction expert, as I recall. You can be a fiction expert, I think. <laughs> just by your colleagues. They're like, oh, that's the fiction guy. <laughs> Yeah, but if that's what he's known as the ship, I mean, we're, we're taking uh, a galactic starship out to the far reaches of space. We need to have somebody who's good with best sellers. Well, you know, Sherlock has already come into play quite a bit. What if Data had gone off the rails in that previous episode? They would have been like, who has the key to help fix our android? We've got to call in our fiction expert. And that's where we get Dixon Hill. This is the big goodbye. Uh, uh -huh. This is Captain Picard and some of the Enterprise crew get stuck on the holodeck while on their way to an important diplomatic mission. Wait, you mean the Peabody Award-winning episode, <laughs> The Big Goodbye? I do. This is uh, this is one of the more acclaimed episodes, as a matter of fact. Uh, for those of you who don't know what the Peabody Awards are, it's like a excellence in, um, I think it's film and radio and TV. Broadcast. Broadcast, yeah, in general. Um, it probably includes internet, but I'm not sure anymore. I took the liberty of seeing what else had won a Peabody Award in 1987. There were many things. Most of them Ooh. are specific news broadcasts, like, oh, let's see, CNN, coverage of the 1987 stock market crash, <laughs> and uh, HBO won something for America Undercover Drunk and Deadly. AIDS and you. Wow. Oh gosh, that's a heavy one. Yeah, they're, it tends to be a pretty, journalistic pretty thing, right? Yeah. Well, NBC won one for LA Law. HBO won one for Mandela, I assume. Nelson Mandela biopic type of thing. Didn't look that up. I only have one Google search. <laughs> uh, Ron of a, Mandela. A <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Uh, and then at the bottom, Star Trek Next Gen for the episode The Big Goodbye. And it, it just looks a little out of place in all these documentary style things. And then like, but this was so good. Mm -hmm. I think they liked it uh, specifically for the attention to detail. I actually have a quote from the Peabody board about it. They said, quote, rather than give in to the usual realities of a first run and produced a low budget but profitable program, the producers chose instead to opt for the highest quality in writing, decor, acting, and indeed all facets of production. In doing so, they have set a new standard for, of quality for first run syndication, and this is exemplified in the episode The Big Goodbye. Wow, yeah. okay. Very complimentary of the TNG crew. Nice. Yeah. You're welcome, Gene Roddenberry. Finally. 
recognition. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mentioned Gene Roddenberry because I, I think one of the criticisms that would come up if anybody has seen original series is that it's very similar to um, another episode of the original series where they go to a pl- uh, an entire planet that is like 1920s gangster New York and it's a little bit like, what? Why? I mean, the similarities are just the three-piece suits, but, you know, it's that similar vibe of like taking an old-timey American story and throwing these characters into it. Um, but they did it the right way, I think, in the holodeck episode. And it, it provides the trope of the holodeck going wrong and the crew having to do something in story to fix it. Yes! I love detective stories, especially when they're mashed up with other genres. Uh, of course, this being sci-fi, but my favorite uh, into the series of all time is The Dresden Files, which is a wow. uh, film noir fantasy mashup. I didn't know that. I, I love The Dresden Files. This. Do no. I ever mention it? I probably haven't <laughs> mentioned it. That's probably good now. It's very good. I was a big fan. What do you love about The Dresden Files that's like this? Just the fact that the, the mashes genres, you mean? I just, um, well, I love a detective story. I mm. love, I think maybe it was, um, you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit as a kid, Jessica <laughs> Rabbit I loved, or uh, when I was in college, my favorite clown teacher did a one-woman show that was a film noir show where she played a bunch of different masks and had recorded all the audio ahead of time. It was incredible. Wow. Uh, so I just have this special place in my heart for anything that's detective film noir. Oh, and of course, <laughs> saw The Big Sleep as a kid. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, detective stuff is great. Uh, we we kind of get a little bit of a taste of it when uh, Picard goes to the holodeck after getting stressed out about his linguistic responsibilities for this diplomatic meeting. Uh, and we... <laughs> Uh, the double line means the T is pronounced as a Z. Mm. Like, he has to learn so much intricacies for this. I'm wondering why they just didn't get a translator to do it instead of the ship's captain, right? Well, especially because there used to be a whole department uh, for communications. It was Lieutenant Uhura's station, uh, Hoshi's station. uh, But with the translator kind of brought in, communications has gone to security. Or there's still a con and and a communications. But, um, no, it it was an interesting way of of doing this because we're seeing the A plot, B plot come in again, where we've got this sort of A plot of the overall mission of the starship, but then the B plot of Picard playing on the holodeck, you know? Well, of course, Counselor Deanna Troy knew the language and was teaching it, so she has experience or had learned it in order to prepare him, Mm. and uh, I so relate to having this work you need to do that is tedious and just wanting to go play on the holodeck. Come on. Yeah. Well, he does, and we get that first noir taste when um, he goes to the holodeck, and we actually get a mid-scene captain's log, which I felt was like a little out of place, but you realize that's actually kind of a noir touch to have a little bit of that um, narration as he walks into a new environment. Mm -hmm. Mm, Good point. Well, I couldn't understand why he was so familiar with the storyline, but but didn't understand it. Um, and then it recapped in the captain's log that he had read the books as a kid, so he understood the storyline, but he had never been in this holodeck before, obviously. I, it just kind of like, there was something missing there of like why he was out of place, even though he requested this thing. Um, and then it made sense because of the captain log sort of just 
tweaking that. Yeah, and I think this is uh, going to show that the holodeck has been upgraded so that maybe the programs that they had been using before were more like environments. It hasn't been this sophisticated of like a full storyline. And so that's where the sort of amazement comes through of like the detail of this game uh, and the programming. I think they're still trying to find their footing on like what these future people would consider weird like automobiles when they <laughs> full on have cars and things that they will use on planet. So it, I I mean, they do beam a lot. Automobiles? But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're still trying Worf, to figure like, out. really tries that word on for Zach. <laughs> yeah. I like the AI's understanding of everybody's costumes, too. Like, when um, Picard walks in after that graduate-style shot around mm-hmm. uh, her legs. Uh, <laughs> someone, oh, my God. Someone, it is the graduate. Says, right? <laughs> it is totally homage to that. If you, if you pair those frames up, I guarantee. Yeah. Uh, but uh, she says, oh, what's with the bellboy's uniform, right? Yeah. I love the justification of them not understanding what they see. Uh, also, data being from "quote unquote" South America. South America. <laughs> well, I like that sort of thing. That um, because these are less sophisticated, sort of robotic personalities, they have to interpret what they see into certain categories. And so, like, ah, a foreign person, not from here. I react to them a certain way. Uh, I must make this fit within my worldview in a way that we all do. But when you are a programmed character, you have less leeway. So I like that detail. This was a good like first attempt at that, and they kind of refine it later on in that the people that are playing the holodeck games dress up because it's fun for them to be more immersed, rather than the programs requiring you to be wearing the costumes, because a lot of alien races are going to be on the holodeck that would come across as not from South America. Like It was a stretch for data, and so they, they kind of go away from that in that the holodeck characters are programmed, and they'll just kind of go with the flow no matter what, but it's more fun if you dress up and go and participate. Kind of like LARPing. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of parallels to Westworld because I've been watching it and I'm wondering mm. where's the Lee size more? Because yeah. this is a very <laughs> written story and so who wrote this? Did this just organically happen because someone just, you know, scanned a book into yeah. the holodeck and the holodeck made it all up on its own in which case that is a very sophisticated AI and right? I think the holodeck could have its own consciousness in one episode mm-hmm. that that's Uh-oh. getting on to something. Uh oh. I should be a writer for this show. I'm going to go back in time. Um, also, I really need to call out something very important to me that hmm. uh, when he first goes on, leaves the holodeck and he's wearing the wrong costume and this bellboy look, he says, You'll have to call again. I'm uh, not dressed properly. Yes. This was sampled in a yes. song. That yes. was one of the first songs I ever downloaded on like Napster or something. Uh, not that I ever Captain did that illegal John activity. Picard of the USS Captain Jean Luc I got down to that song. It wasn't on a website. What was it called? It You're like, the man now, dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ytmnd. <laughs> I don't know that one. Oh, you don't? Because that's the quote from Finding Forrester of uh, Sean Sean Connery saying, "You're the man now, dog." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, classic. Yeah. There are a few good Picard quotes that are going to be coming up in these couple of episodes. Well, <laughs> Not to mention yeah. his translation at the end. I kind of yeah. wanted to record that. Um, and memorize it? Yeah. <laughs> we expect this for next episode. Uh, so everyone. Picard gets in. He figures out, okay, the holodeck's fun. He leaves uh, after taking the case from this woman. Um, <laughs> and the, and he's got this lipstick smudge. And he just inc- excitedly tells all of the crew about his adventure in the holodeck. This is one 
one where you can come in in your little trekker uh, glasses and you're like, mm, actually, that lipstick yep. should have dissolved because it was a manifestation <laughs> of holograms, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, which we'll see later in the episode. They don't really know at what point a hologram should start dissolving. <laughs> right. Is it when it steps in a hallway, as I assumed no. it would be, or slowly, shortly thereafter, <laughs> after the characters sort of walk down the hallway a yeah, little bit? Yeah, that seems right. <laughs> They wanted to show off that effect, I think, right. a little bit. Maybe so. <laughs> One more thing I wanted to say about automobiles, since you mentioned it. I thought it was interesting that the writers at this point in time didn't mention any sort of negativity that we associate with cars now. Uh, they said, uh, teenage mating rituals used for transportation. <laughs> right. Ah, the smells. But they didn't say... I mean, I'm sure pollution was evident. Pollution was a thing people knew about in 87, because... Mm -hmm. Nixon had already passed the Clean Air Act, I imagine, by 87. Reagan was president then, right? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, it goes to show you that, like, the problems of the planet are so far behind this civilization that now is just charmed by the idea of a, a car <laughs> for some reason. Maybe, or they were so ahead of the civilization that wrote this episode because Maybe. Uh, writing it today, it would have been, like, a major contributor to climate Their change. Their unfamiliarity blah, blah, blah. with it, though, is just kind of strange, though, because like it'd be less it'd be like you excitedly telling us a story about a play you saw and then you're like and they rode in on horses <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point what a great analogy what uh, horses data explain so uh picard like decides to go back in he he recruits crusher data shows up on his own uh and he also has this he Wayland doesn't recruit fella. he invites uh, right. Yes, it's for fun, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like she's definitely signing up to be on a crew, though, don't you? Like, even though it is definitely there's a romantic element to it. Yeah, I think that this we get to see sort of this playful element of Beverly of like she's all work all the time. Like everyone's treating her like a doctor, and she's like, I, I want to play too. Like I want to get interrogated. And that's so ex exemplified when she comes into the police station and she's looking at the um, other woman there and, and she powdering sits next her nose to her. And, like, yeah. The funny part is that she looks beautiful already. Right. And she already has a ton of makeup on. And she's like, oh, oh I don't know. What <laughs> Women in this time wear makeup. Yeah, but she doesn't apply it with um, a powder sponge. Right. She applies it with a scanner that replicates your makeup look onto mm, your face every morning. That's Duh. it. You push the button on the mirror. That's fair. My favorite bit is like the, the hiking the skirt up and then seeing who that woman actually is and then slowly pulling her <laughs> stuff back yeah. together. <laughs> oh, I want to look like this. Oh, no, I don't. No, I don't. That's anyone playing a video game. You're like, I want to be, oh, that's the villain. Yeah, okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> so we spend a little time in 19 whatever year this is, 37 or something like that. Because yeah. I guess Hitler was on the move, so it was probably like late 30s. Mm -hmm. Um Oh, there was that bit with Data mentions the uh, baseball statistics. Oh, right. Uh, Something we got to keep oh. track of is when the London Kings join the MLB, right? Well, actually, the London Kings is a little bit of trivia that will show up way, way, way later in your Trek journey. Uh, especially the person who beats Joe DiMaggio's record. Uh, mm -hmm. So, on Memory Alpha, uh, DiMaggio reached that number, making this date the 25th of June, 1941. Which, uh, an okay. interesting tidbit, when he left the holodeck, it was kind of like, I'll take the case. And you think that time won't pass because he only spent a quick minute in there. You think, oh, 
time must freeze when he leaves and then he comes back and she's dead yeah. and yeah. Uh, game goes on without you I guess it's like Animal Crossing <laughs> oh, don't get started I feel that was a genuine oversight because he even made a point to save it when he left where he was didn't he well I think that, that what one of the things that they were trying to show was that it, one of the things he says at the end of like when you leave will my wife and kids still be there because this is one of the few times that the holograms actually recognize that they're holograms and I think that was to show that there is a passage of time uh, and things are going on even when someone is not on the holodeck at least in some capacity. Wow. I thought I, this was really ominous and really this sort of thing of like, oh, every time you initiate a new holodeck program, you are destroying millions of holodeck lives later over on, and over. There's a whole discussion because just as much as data is becoming a quest to become human, later on they introduce holographic characters and that is a question of where where is their sapience? Right. Or sapience. Yeah. Sentience? Sentience. I like sapiens. Sapiens is what? Hum- where are they? Humanity, sapiens. <laughs> it, that might be a word. Yeah. I wrote down that this is like a sad Westworld, and Westworld already is pretty sad. Right. Like, yeah. No, it's <laughs> an absolute tragedy. I was a little torn about those holograms, just kind of realizing they weren't real. Um, right. But yeah, so we find out that we get stuck. I'm not sure exactly. Did they? They explained it very quickly, but when <laughs> the. Uh, what are the alien race, the Yaharans? What are they called? The Yaradas. Harada, when they said hi with their um, hello hug, they like <laughs> shook the ship real bad. Yeah. And then the holodeck stopped working correctly. Is that essentially what right. happened? You're going to find with all of these holodeck goes wrong episodes, there's going to be some sort of power surge or nebula or malfunction mm-hmm. or some mm-hmm. sort of alien influence that's going to make Which- it happen. All those things would make sense. This was basically a routine like they're <laughs> scanning our ship. Right. But it just rocked just this one area. Uh, <laughs> Which totally doesn't match with the inertial dampeners, but whatever, I won't go there. <laughs> inertial so, dampeners, good good techno babble. Yeah, yeah. Those are those ones are used frequently, keeping the ear out for them. Mm-hmm. But inside the holodeck, uh, Picard is taken downtown, and we learn because his business card was in the murdered woman's jacket. That's enough to bring the guy in. <laughs> Obviously. Hey, why not? It's, and he leads I a lead. Like, I like that uh, Picard loves these stories, but these stories are pretty flimsy. <laughs> his interrogation is pretty much... Tell me again. Listen, that's essentially the I tactic. just need one person in a tavern to tell me to do something, and that's a call to adventure. So yeah, I, I can't fault him for just trying to have some fun. <laughs> yeah, there's no questions here. Also, Beverly Crusher questions why nobody else gets to have any fun right? and, and get to be on ice, as it were. Uh, also, when she trips because she doesn't know how to walk in heels. Yeah. Love it. Perfect. Great <laughs> physical comedy. And then when she eats the piece of gum that yeah, the guard gives her, it. I was dying. <laughs> yeah. Well, he also asked her to the dance at the same time, right? Yeah. I mean, you, that audible... <laughs> right. It's very oh, good. Oh, God. Uh, a lot is problematic about the things that guard said to her should be pointed out. Uh, but yeah. guess what? It's 41, so... Um, you let that slide in mixed company. <laughs> so we find out that uh, everybody's locked in. The crew figures out, too. And Wesley volunteers to come on down and help out. Riker says, no way, Jose. Mm-hmm. Um, but Troy makes the good point that his mother is missing, too. Although, I mean, 
it's not like they're missing. She's just they're trapped in the pleasure closet, right? Yeah, it's like, the flimsiest <laughs> excuses to get Wesley involved in the plot every time. And then he he looks in these little uh, microscope lenses that are inside the wall of the ship. That felt like a new prop. Yeah, they just needed some sort of way for them to interact with a holodeck that wasn't a yeah. computer screen, I guess. <laughs> I love those little touches. Yeah. Um, well, we, we finally understand why Waylon's in this episode. He is our red shirt because he gets <laughs> yeah. shot by Leech, right? We should have known Leech? every time we meet a new lieutenant or new officer, it's because they need to shoot somebody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, makes total sense. So Leech is uh, looking for an item. Do we ever learn what the item is? The item. <laughs> the capital I item. Yeah. It's the it's MacGuffin like the, of the game. It is the MacGuffin. It's the yeah, item. Yeah, they were going to write that in the script later. <laughs> they just wrote item for now. And then they were like, oops, ah, did we go into production having never replaced item with, you know, a crystal of destiny or whatever? I wonder if the point is is that it doesn't matter. It, they're pointing out that it's a MacGuffin the whole time in the story. Kind of, I mean... It, this is all kind of based on the Maltese Falcon, right? So it's right. all that kind of after the object kind of thing. And yeah. the story around the object's more interesting. The name is an amalgamation of two Raymond Chandler books, oh. uh, The Big Sleep and The Long Goodbye. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. It does sound just like a noir novel title, The Big Goodbye. I mean, Raymond Chandler really made noir happen mm. I, I loved how fun this was there was there's like the, the thing about it like is that picard is isn't really he is having fun but he's not doing fun things he's just enjoying stumbling through this narrative like yeah. they don't really have too much of an adventure so much as they just go from scene to scene right there's one point at which he tries to take control and he realizes that there's some sort of safety protocol that's off which they don't really explain that or mm. say that it's happened mm. um but I know that this is something that, just from vague memories that we probably come in contact with again. Like, oh, safety protocols are off. People right. can die now. Right. Um, but he sort of takes control to say, we are from another world as like, a, okay, here's the plan. We'll tell them that we can get them something from the future, basically. And then, of course, it doesn't work out. But he does come with his air of captainness to sort of like go for a goal. Yeah, I think that's a perfect point to to bring up because he does switch. We see that both in uh, Picard and in Crusher. As soon as someone's actually hurt, she switches immediately into doctor mode. And (laughs) and I think that's because she is a doctor, but I think that's a great character like delineation. And then Picard has it as well in that he switches to his negotiation tactics as a captain. He's like, this is just like any other scenario that I could get through. Honesty is the best policy. Let's just try to reason with everybody. (laughs) try to make it happen I loved uh, Crusher's uh, immediate diagnosis of there's massive internal bleeding yeah Uh, yeah. he took a bullet to the gut also she does not know how to tend to uh, a bullet wound like she could handle phaser wound but she needs all of her instruments like she can point a Healy phaser at the boo-boo made by uh, a bad punchy phaser but like an actual gunshot wound she's lost let me let me tap my tissues on here you have to put pressure on that wound crusher we all know this (laughs) but again she comes from a society that doesn't use these ballistic weapons that don't make any sense why would they use phasers but there's literally just like some tissues from her handbag <laughs> sitting on top of the wound as she's turning around like we've got to get him to my med bay quick yeah <laughs> they're using what they call firearms <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, there's a lot of things about this episode that it's like, I know it won the Peabody Award, but it's still so silly. It's um, it's getting closer. Some episodes are, are closer to not being a whiff. Uh, yeah. This one is, is pretty good, but there's still elements that leave something to be desired. Like, I wish that there was a, an actual mystery for us to figure out in the noir world that mm-hmm. had had yeah. more draw there. Um, but, you know, it's doing its best. I think it's because they leaned into it. Like, they definitely went for it and mm-hmm. went as much as they could for a first um, right. season TV show, which is mentioned in that Peabody quote. And so... Uh, I think them going for it and actually having a hologram consider its own existence and then disappear at the end of the episode. Yeah. That's like a Twilight Zone level like uh, concept script. Yeah. So like I think I think they appreciated that boldness even although I agree. There there was no real plot inside of there. There was just a lot of tropes. It was just trope city. Yeah. Uh, and that was still fun to play with. Yeah. Um, Will Wheaton, I saw a comment that that he thought that the big goodbye um, because they'd actually filmed Data Lore before this, uh, which is the next episode for us. Um, but there was something with production that they were reversed in a different order, so they'd already <laughs> filmed twelve episodes. But this one felt like the one where people actually were um, enjoying themselves and relaxed in a new way, so that they were unself conscious and uh, you you can actually tell. Um, of course, not Wesley, but he's supposed to be nervous. It was oh, sure. it was funny, like. Data- Data's little bit with the lamp, I was very clown-like, and I kind of enjoyed where I didn't notice that it got unplugged, and then it came back on. I also liked... Uh, how did I was Picard created... know where to plug it back in, though, or how a plug works? Right. Electricity? Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> no, it was good, some uh, some good, like, prop comedy, but, um, so they filmed this after Data Lore, then? Yes. So that's interesting, because you can see Brent Spiner sort of opening up in that he downloads a gangster program and sort of incorporates that into his performance, which we've seen that with like Sherlock Holmes and stuff like that. But I think he's really taking these risks. And I think uh, you'll find in the next episode with Data Lore that kind of agency comes and is earned through his performance. What do you mean, boss? Hey? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. One thing that I that stuck out to me about the writing of this episode was uh, Riker's actions, uh, namely that we mm. are dealing with this society that is very specific about how they are first introduced. In fact, he even mentions that there was a 20-year delay on yeah. talking to these guys because someone didn't get the protocol right. And what does he do with the first opportunity? Right. He opens hailing frequencies. Right. Bad move. He's like, listen. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's the Urata. Irata? We haven't Gerata. talked about them much at all. Right. Because I, 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 isn't the rumor that they didn't have the budget to do another alien? That's oh, right. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, they mention, well, they have an insect mind. So they were supposed to be sort of insectoid creatures that I think uh-huh. uh, the writer really wanted to have in there. But huh. budget. But we don't really, yeah, they they are, I mean, their effect on this whole episode is pretty much a time crunch, right, right. for the holodeck. They're not even an A they're plot or a B plot. Yeah, they're the yeah. stakes, exactly. Um, so that, I just found it really interesting that Riker just went ahead yeah. and went for talking to them. Right, And that yeah. seemed to have no effect. Agreed. Well, uh, Picard spent all this time memorizing this complicated thing to say that can't be messed up or it'll jeopardize everyone's lives. I'll just say what's up. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I totally agree. And it did throw me off when watching this episode again. I'm like, what What are you doing? Now, yeah. it's not necessarily Riker's fault, but I, the, the Harada call them. But then Riker still picks up the phone. Right. And I think you can't. So then it's like, what is the bigger offense? Is it ignoring it or and letting it go on red or <laughs> answering you it? You just hit the button that says, can't talk right now. Call you later. Uh, but is that an That's offense? That's why they have the preset. <laughs> it's a preset. It can't be offensive if it's preset. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, we meet after that. We meet Cyrus Redblock, who's kind of the biggest presence in the room. I think uh, the actor. Mm, yeah. I can't remember his name, but he also plays um, Elaine's dad in Seinfeld around this time. He's like just known <gasps> oh. for being an intimidating dude. Huh. Uh, let me look it up real quick. I got him. Lawrence Tierney. Lawrence Tierney. It was a good I thought he was an incredible actor. Yeah. Yeah. He really, uh, like, some of the goons um, was, was a little, a little phoned little, in. Little, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then he steps up, and he has such epic lines. He's, yeah. He's killing on a quest for knowledge. He said the first thing, one of the first things he said uh, was really fantastic. Let's see if I can find it here. Uh, life is an endless stream of choices. Unfortunately, you have chosen to make my life more difficult. So good. So good. Yeah. And well delivered. It didn't feel like a cliche, even though these are phony lines. Yeah. Uh, I was a little bit, you know, intimidated by him. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. I thought the whole scene was very well done by everybody. And I think that when you're playing a villain like this, it's so important to make it relatable and to make us like that person because everybody wants to be liked, quote unquote, villain or no. He's, Mm -hmm. hey, this is what I do, you know? I just gotta kill people, but not because I'm not a nice guy. I like politeness. And and the lines were there, but it's important to play it with, like something that's relatable to people. I simultaneously totally. loved and hated Leech's little holding <laughs> of his gun like this. <laughs> Where his little arms are right up against his chest. The it's bats, so... let me hurt the woman. Right. <laughs> and when Ugh. he's gonna shoot Crusher, he's like eight inches from her face, which she's pointing a gun at. Like he's gonna get brains everywhere yeah. on him. It's crazy <laughs> to hold it like that. I have a real thing in anything where, well, if you're gonna shoot her, what's stopping you then? Just do it. Like. Right. <laughs> Because uh, we need the cliffhanger and play the music, and then we'll come back and talk him out of it. It's like Picard probably would have jumped at, to stop that sooner. So this is just a trope of all TV and film. One of the best rules of an uh, improv group that I used to work with was that if anybody, if a gun was ever pull, pulled out uh, in a scene, whoever the gun was pointed at should instantly die before the person holding the gun knew it was happening. <laughs> That's a good rule. That's my favorite Just rule. Just make deal with that consequence. <laughs> um, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> well, uh, the holograms make it out, and they have a whole new world oh. to plunder, but then they disappear. Oh, man, I thought they were going to just terrorize the ship. But guess what? They don't exist anymore. Right. This is one of the things I was going to bring up is that uh, another trope that we can kind of keep a lookout for is the cool hologram that kind of gets it. Um, We see that this kind of a lot of like there's a there's a hologram program that's a cool hologram program that just kind of gets it. And we see that here with this gangster who's like. All right. I'll, there's another world full of riches. I'll see. I'll go and, and investigate this for myself. You know, so many other of the programs would just default back into their what are you talking about type of thing. I don't so. see it. Right, right. Or do they not see the exit as they're programmed to do? But there it is. That hasn't happened yet either. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that was the big goodbye. I liked this episode. I think we already kind of summarized our feelings on it for the most part. I thought that, like, this, I don't really like the hologram episodes for the most part. If I'm watching mm. Star Trek, I want to watch Star Trek, but this one still was fun enough to be silly and like I, I was along for the ride. I think holodeck episodes are great for binge watching because if you're sitting through a bunch of Star Trek, they're nice refreshers just to remind you like how great these actors are. Yeah, it breaks it up a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to any time Data does an accent, I'm down. Yeah. Um, a couple things we didn't talk about much. Uh, Beverly Crusher and Picard, their budding relationship, mm. which I have a feeling is not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but they're really trying to make it happen at this point in the season, so that's interesting. And then uh, the relationship with the cop that Picard has at the very end. I didn't yeah. realize that was a cop until I realized that was the nice cop that was bringing by the booze at the end. Right. Uh, it, it felt very underdeveloped, and then at the very last scene it was like, we're old friends, and I'm going to miss you. Uh, I, I wonder if they're trying to set up a Dixon Hill alternate universe that they can return to multiple times and have recurring characters with. I'm not sure. I mean, I know they right. I think they, they do do more Dixon they Hill do. stuff in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we'll and see. I think that's a great point. But also, um, I think they wanted to get a lot of that noir lighting in. And the, no matter what you say, it's always going to look dramatic if you've got like pouring in from blinds, you know. <laughs> oh, man, I got to work on my blind situation. So I can yeah. get more of that going right here. Uh, and um, I, I just want to call out the line. The line I really enjoyed was, uh, it's a nice place to visit, but I wouldn't want to die there. Mm-hmm. I see what you did there, Picard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, like the um, now that we're so familiar with this trope, the the lack of urgency that Picard has once the program has like resolved. I'm like, okay, take the coat off and go. Like you got to like adjust your tie and go, yeah, dude. Yeah. He was just casually like taking off his coat, addressing the end of the game, like walking over, uh, going on the bridge, and like go ahead, here we go. Yeah, it's I like, want to I want to make right? sure this hologram understands what's <laughs> going to happen to him more than I want to save Waylon's life. Yeah. Or the entire ships, for that right. matter, if these wasp people are no good. <laughs> They'll find <laughs> it. They'll do? find it. <laughs> and they eventually do. And yeah. uh, we are going to go on to our next episode next week, which is, the, as we've mentioned before, Data Lore. Mm. Uh, the Enterprise explores Data's home planet, Omnicron Theta. They find his brother and the dark secret he carries. Oh, I'm so excited. I love any data-centric episode. Oh, buckle up. Well, yeah, you get double it this time. Yeah. What? Uh, That's all for this week. I think Picard said it best in this episode, especially. (laughs) Step Step on on it. Engage. (laughs) Fuck. (laughs) 